You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Ramil, the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to follow the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in this episode. Not much to really talk about today. Coming off a tough loss to the Memphis Grizzlies where Miami seemed to be exposed a bit, that was the unexpected end to a four-game win streak that had given Miami Heat fans a little bit of hope, right? You're kind of building up towards the trade deadline, you acquire Victor Oladipo, you're still losing, then you get Oladipo back in, and all of a sudden you're seeing this really fast-paced offense where you're moving the ball, reminiscent very much of what last season and their success from last year entailed. And then the loss in which Miami's offense was really, really good, actually, and it just seemed like defensively, they had no way of stopping several players. And that's kind of what I want to frame the overall theme of the episode about. Because one, there are still some lingering questions about that Memphis loss. But also something I want to talk about in the next segment is how this is fast approaching a quick defining point of the season. I think you're looking at the schedule up ahead and you're looking at where the team currently stands And there are some concerns, at least on my end, and I'll talk about those in the next segment before previewing the Lakers game and, again, wrapping up some questions that some of my listeners had, including one very uh, fun one that I'm hoping to answer uh, probably a lot more lengthily than a lot of you would expect. But in any case, this first question comes in from Twisted Tapioca, our good friend that hosts the In the Lane podcast. You've probably heard that. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's an up-and-coming voice in the Miami Heat podcasting world, so definitely make sure you check it out. Uh, his question is about that Memphis game, and he asks, as you watch Jonas Valanciunas do mostly what he wanted to our interior and demand a double, did you mind drift at all to a potential 76ers matchup and the difficulties that Joel Embiid could give this team Do you see any schematic changes to help guard against big men? Hmm. So I rewatched the Valanciunas field goals yesterday and his overall impact on the Memphis Grizzlies offense and then how Miami's defense had to shift and try to cover up from some obvious poor rotations there. And no, I did not think about Embiid. Uh, Honestly, I, I guess my mind is set at this point mostly on the games as I'm covering them. Perhaps that's a a, a kind of tunnel vision that you develop from having to cover the games day in and day out and talk about them on the immediacy. You you don't, at least in my case, I don't tend to go such big picture questions because, again, you never know. My my feeling is that, and I'll address it this way, Bam Adebayo will cover Joel Embiid the same way he always has, which is very effectively. And while he probably won't start off covering him, I can imagine either Dwayne Dedman if he's healthy or... Um, Nemanja Bjelica or even Trevor Ariza will start off with the inenviable task of trying to guard Embiid, then Bam will eventually shift on him in the hopes that he can avoid foul trouble and, again, largely and mostly effectively guard him. So I I think that's not as big a concern for me. Look, I I understand that Embiid is a a powerhouse and, and difficult to cover for almost any team. I also know that Adebayo 
mostly does a very good job on Embiid in the past, and I would expect that to be the case in the future. Now, there are other teams that could create similar situations to what Memphis did, and I think that's the overall issue here is that when it was – it wasn't Valanciunas. Valanciunas per se, individually, in a vacuum, as you want to say, it w- isn't a threat. Like, he is not exactly the most polished scorer. He's not exactly the most bruising presence. He's physical enough, but I don't think he's quite as powerful as, say, a Steven Adams or an Embiid or anything like that, and you don't have to protect him. He's just a big body in Miami, somewhat undersized. Now, it was the scheme there that was really what was giving Valanciunas the open looks, and I did look at all nine of his field goal attempts, and let me tell you, it was just – it's abysmal. Uh, the rotations were piss poor. It started off with that, you know, it starts off right away with Bam covering the ball handler, most often John Morant. And I understand the concern is Morant going off and getting to the rim, going downhill and building up speed and finishing easily at the rim. And you don't want to leave Victor Oladipo or Duncan Robinson or another wing player out in an island trying to guard Morant because that's a difficult task. So you left Adebayo to do it. But that frees up the mo- the middle pretty easily, as Tapioca points out. And, and so you, you look at the the field goal attempts and, and what was going on there, and it was just it was just really bad. You, you have Adebayo guarding Morant, and then all of a sudden there's this shift where everybody has to move over. And even if you have the ball on the perimeter, say in the hands of a Dylan Brooks or a, a Kyle Anderson. Then you've got Valanciunas in a total mismatch over Jimmy Butler or Trevor Ariza, who was fronting him inexplicably on a couple of occasions. I know the point is to basically try and challenge the pass, make it a little bit more difficult, but Morant made that pass easily. Kyle Alexander made that pass easily. When Ariza was fronting Valanciunas, both of them were able to assist Valanciunas pretty easily by just lobbing the ball over a defender and into Valanciunas' easy hands. And, you know, he is a seven-footer, so it is a challenge. And it was just... There was nothing Miami could do there. Or, or As far as the changes to that scheme, well, you have to hope for a better guard play. You have better defense on the perimeter. And that's the problem, too, is that you're not going to get it. I mean, Oladipo's still rounding into form, and yes, he improves the team, but he's not capable of guarding both Dylan Brooks and Kyle Anderson and John Morant. you got to pick your poison. So that leaves Tyler Hero or Goran Dragic. Or Duncan Robinson trying to stay in front of John Morant. Not an easy task for any of them. And that's going to create a mismatch anyway. And even on the three-point attempt that that uh, Valanciunas did wind up getting, it was the same thing. You know, there was this mismatch there. Oladipo and Duncan were trying to limit what Morant do. And he switched, he, he switched, you know, he passed the ball over to Desmond Bain, who swung the ball into the corner where Valanciunas was waiting. He knocked down an easy three. The only attempt where Adebayo was guarding him directly wound up resulting in a missed field goal. Now, there was another one. I, I apologize. There actually were two. One where he was fronting Valanciunas again, and Valanciunas slipped the screen easily. But again, I think Bam was worried about the ball handler in a pick-and-roll situation. It was I think they used a, a staggered screen there where they had multiple defenders setting screens for John Morant. As a ball handler, he winds up coming across over the screens, and then Adebayo is there, basically the last line of defense with Valanciunas at his back. He kind of hedges a little bit, tries to you know show a, a little bit on, on Morant, who tosses an easy lob over into Valanciunas. He winds up collecting the, an easy basket. So that was one where, again, Bam was specifically guarding him. But when he was in position, when it wasn't a matter of just trying to, to switch over or rotate or anything like that, he limited Valanciunas to a missed field goal attempt. He only went 7 of 9. 
So it, it wasn't like, you know, they weren't really stopping him or anything like that. But on the one occasion, you know, one of two occasions, I think he, he did a pretty good job defending him. But that's just not possible in this defense. You're not going to shift the, the schemes up because you have to make up for the, you know, inefficiencies of their of your guards at, at, defensively. It's it's a frustrating thing here, you know, and you're everybody's asking, well, what, what can we do differently? It's like you can't. This is the scheme that works for the personnel you have. You try to maximize everybody, put in everybody in a, in a position to succeed. Oladipo is not the best on-ball defender that he once was. Robinson has improved and still isn't good. He can still be out of position or can get into foul trouble. You know, Tyler Hero is still working on it. Goran Dragic certainly not at this point in his career. Can you hope for him to have a, a resurgence the way he did in the bubble last year? Possibly. But overall, I'm just not sure what kind of schemes that you can – possibly change there other than having Bam specifically glued onto Valanciunas and then you have to pick your poison and hope that Morant has a bad night. Would it happen? Maybe. Can you afford to get your 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 scoring guard trio of Oladipo, Hero, and Dragic into foul trouble trying to limit what Morant does? Maybe. I don't think it's worth it though. You, you, he, look, he took a, a risk, Eric Spolster did, and it didn't pay off yesterday. And the future... Who knows? Look, you got to give credit to Taylor Jenkins and the Grizzlies for scheming this perfectly. They really seemed to know exactly what they were going up against with the Heat. They they knew exactly how to exploit the, those matchups. They found weaknesses in their defensive scheme, and they went at it effectively all night long. Miami just was never able to counter. They were never able to figure it out. Even when they did, and when they had a few lucky possessions, they either weren't able to knock down open shots, or Memphis seemed to have an answer for them. I mentioned this in my recap yesterday. This next question comes in from Kevin. He asks, do you think Goran Dragic is going to round back into shape for the playoffs? No way Goran starts like last season. And honestly, it seems like Tyler should be the first option off the bench. <sighs> Look, I know it's something I've addressed before. And I feel like I feel like we're not quite clear because I don't think anybody would have expected Goran to start last year either. Like, I know he was a little bit healthier. He hadn't gone through any kind of major injury issues or anything like that. But I, I don't think that, that most people saw that switch happening. Maybe you want to roll out your best five, and so you include Jay Crowder in the starting lineup, which he did. You include Goran, which he did. But this is a different year, as Kevin points out. And I have to agree with you. I just I don't see it happening right now. I don't know if there's going to be a tremendous resurgence over the next 20 games. It doesn't seem very likely. And if that's the case, then yes, I have to agree with Kevin. You can't go with Goran right away. Now, I, I, Eric Spolstra, as I've mentioned, and I did mention in my recap, there's a lot of a lot of what he feels as a head coach after 15 seasons. He he wants to get a good feel for his players, and he trusts Goran immeasurably. Like, that is a proven veteran for him. That is a heat lifer. That is a guy that he loves going to war with. All the cliches that you could possibly think of. And he feels that for Goran. And I think if Goran tells him, Coach, I can handle this situation, he'll put him out there. I really do. It will take some real self-assessment from Dragic and some honesty that he doesn't want to cost the team a victory or, or a loss and say to them, I just can't, I can't cut it as a starter. But in Tyler, go with Depot, go with Kendrick Nunn, go with anybody, but you can't count on me at this point in my career. And if he's able to answer those kinds of questions, honestly, 
I don't know. I, I just I I can't see that he is because so much of the player is wired to think I can keep going. I'm gonna have a big game. Look at I mean look at him last year before he suffered the, the torn plantar fascia. He was phenomenal. He was Miami's best player. And we all tend to kind of forget that, right? In the narrative about why they lost the, the finals and everything else. It was, oh, the, the more talented Lakers team versus this upstart heat. Yeah, well, they were missing their best player and their best defender for most of the series. But that's a whole other conversation, right? As far as his ability to bounce back this year, I just don't know that Dragic is capable of, of honestly saying, I don't have it anymore. He came back. Like, that already makes me think that he's not that he's not capable of assessing where he currently is as a player as, as in physically and be able to determine that he is not as effective as he once was. He's going to try to push his way through it. He's going to find an old man game here and there. He's never relied on super explosive athleticism, but he doesn't have any of the speed that he once did. He can't rely on the iron shoulder anymore because you're going to get called for a foul. He's not even able to get to the rim anymore. So, I don't know. I don't know what the option is. As far as Tyler being the first option off the bench, I guess. I guess that makes sense. I, I mean, I don't know that you can trot them both out there, but I just also don't think that you can afford to insult your 36-year-old point guard that, again, that you, you care for deeply and that you trust with the game on the line. That's something that you don't have established with Tyler Hero yet. And I don't know that you necessarily want to – give preference to Hero over Dragic. As far as the closing lineup, let's say about that. You know, you have to have Oladipo out there, right? You have to have Jimmy. You have to have Bam out there. Who's, who's who's you know, who's left? Is it Iguodala? It's not Ariza, is it? I mean, I guess it depends on whether or not you're going defense to offense. But offensively, do you have Iguodala in there over Dragic at this point? That's a bigger question to me. I, I'm not sure I have any, any easy answer there. But I do want to talk about, again, something I mentioned before, where Miami stands right now and what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks because I think this is really a turning point here. And I, I don't bring that up lightly because I do think it's important for Miami to kind of be able to assess themselves and say, you know what, we need, we need to find something in order to close out this season on a high note. And if there's anything that you're going to get out of any player – you know it's going to be Jimmy Butler. He's going to carry the team as he always does. I, I had some minor soft criticism for him again the Grizzlies game when he was being a little too passive. But if anything, it's only because Jimmy is just so good of a player. He brings so much joy, happiness, enjoyment while you're watching him. And that's why he's my Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. Look, if I was being critical of him, it's only because he is so good. Because he does bring so much joy to watch. He is so effective. When he is determined and he feels like this is my time to carry this team to a win and he takes over a game like few players can, it just makes it so much more special, which is, you know, you kind of want those moments over and over again. But look, you know, it's kind of like sitting back there with a good beer, in this case, a good Michelob Ultra, you know. It's nice, cool, and refreshing. You're, you're familiar with it. And moreover, though, it's just a great feeling afterwards because it's only 2.6 carbs, 95 calories. You know, it's not... It's not the end game there. You know, enjoyment isn't the end game, but it's all about the process. And, and sometimes it's all about sitting down there, enjoying a good beer, taking in the moment. And I think Jimmy Butler helps kind of remind us of that every once in a while. And he's capable of, again, separating himself, breaking down the game, watching it all play out. And uh, that kind of is, you know, reminiscent to me 
of being able to sit down and enjoying a good beer. But I'll talk about where Miami stands later on in the next segment. You're listening to Locked on Heat. Sports news you need in under 20 minutes with a Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get podcasts. So what happens next? That's the question for me because I'm watching the four-game win streak come to an end on Tuesday night and I'm wondering to myself, what's left for Miami? Because they've been an up-and-down team all year. Very, very streaky, right? You lose six, you win four, before that 11 of 12, and on and on and on. It just seems like there's these streaks of losses followed by streaks of wins. And the Memphis game feels like a turning point. But not just that, because then you've got an upcoming game against the Los Angeles Lakers. Then you've got a four-game West Coast road trip after that. Right now, the Miami Heat 26-25 and with 21 games left. Not a lot of opportunity to establish an identity. And you've kind of been postponing it, right? Eric Spolstra and his media address, you know, always mentions we're trying to find our identity. We're getting back to our identity. We're, we're slowly finding our identity. It's like, hey, man, at this point, you're 50 games into it. Either you found your identity or you haven't. I don't know that you're going to do it over the next 20 games. And I understand a lot of that is kind of just coach speak. And, and there's also something to his point in that you've kind of been putting off a final assessment of this team because either you're acquiring Giannis Antetokounmpo, you're acquiring James Harden, you're acquiring Victor Oladipo. And so you have yet, you know, you had those three weeks where you're missing Jimmy Butler. You miss Avery Bradley. It's like you've never had the full team in tech, but you're slowly getting there. So maybe to his point, yes, you've been kind of postponing how to assess this team because it hasn't been a complete, but now you're there. Right, you're getting there. You're slowly getting there. You've got Oladipo kind of figuring his role out here. You've got Trevor Reza. You bring in Dwayne Dedman reportedly over the next couple of weeks, whatever. However, if, assuming he's healthy and capable of contributing. But this is it. There are no more second chances. You're not going to get a five month hiatus to kind of reassess and and figure everything out and then go into an Orlando bubble that you can totally find a way to exploit and take advantage of. It seems more and more, as fans are slowly being welcomed back into all 30 arenas, that I may have been wrong. I didn't see this progressing the way it did. I thought they were going to try to recreate the Orlando bubble because it was so good, because it was so effective in keeping out not just COVID, but just bringing about the best basketball. Like The idea that people are criticizing LeBron James, LeBum, LeMickey, and, and the, the fake playoffs, I just... It was the purest form of playoffs. No home court advantage, no traveling to diminish or diffuse, you know, dilute the quality of play. It was the very best version of basketball that you're going to find. So I, I don't know. If you've got that kind of criticism about the Orlando bubble experience, I don't know what the hell you were watching, but it certainly wasn't basketball. You're just going to go in there and complain about everything. And I just don't see it. Like, you find a way to take advantage under the most adverse circumstances possible. That makes you a much more worthy champion than any other, in my opinion. As far as where Miami stands right now, that four-game West Coast trip is going to be a tough one. You start off in Portland, not an easy one. Then you go to Phoenix, 
again, Phoenix slapped the Heat around when they were at home just a few weeks ago, prior to the trade deadline, whatever. But can you bounce back against that Phoenix team? Well, you don't have much time to think about if you do pull out a win there because then on the next night, the very next night, you go from Phoenix to Denver, a resurgent, you know, Denver team that acquired Aaron Gordon, who seems to fit in perfectly. Mr. 49 himself or whatever his number is. I don't know, 50, I guess, maybe. I don't know. He doesn't have any trophies to show for it. But either way, he's playing really well there. He's understanding his role in a way that he did in Orlando. He's playing in a more talented team with, you know, a talented score in Jamal Murray and a talented do-everything center MVP type player in Nikola Jokic, who's finding him and and perfect cutting situations and off-ball movement, providing that flash and athleticism that was diminished in Orlando because he had to, was willing to do, trying to do, excuse me, too much. Now he doesn't have to do that much. He doesn't have to take on that bigger role that he's not capable of holding. He's a good complementary player, and I think now he understands that in Denver. And let's say somehow, once you're done with that back-to-back, brutal back-to-back set, then you got to go take on the Minnesota Timberwolves. And yes, maybe that's an easier task, but by that point, you may have already lost three in a row. Heck, you could have lost five in a row if you lose this game to the Lakers. It's imperative for Miami to find a way to win against Los Angeles on Thursday. Because otherwise, you go into that road trip having lost two in a row, you could easily start off losing five in a row before taking on the Minnesota Timberwolves after you've been beat up throughout the rest of the West Coast road trip and you just want to go home. Well, guess what happens when you come back after that road trip? Then you take on a Sunday afternoon matchup with the Brooklyn Nets who will probably be back or closer to full strength at that point. Now, James Harden might be out. Kevin Durant's probably going to be back. Harden has to be held out because they've got bigger fish to fry. They've got a bigger picture to worry about, and that's why they're going to slowly work him back into the rotation and not have to rush him out there. But for Miami, it's not going to get any easier. And we've all been kind of counting on this easy strength of schedule. Like, everybody's been talking about, oh, Miami, you know, easy strength of schedule in the second half of the season. When, when the hell does that start? Because they lost six games during the second half of the season when it was the quote-unquote easy strength of schedule. And you know why it's the easy strength of schedule? Because you're taking into consideration two games versus the Minnesota Timberwolves that haven't won a lot. One versus Detroit, who hasn't won a lot either. That's the last game of the season. One versus the Houston Rockets, who haven't won a lot. Well, guess what? The Rockets are better. Detroit and Minnesota have nothing else to play for, so you've got players there that are looking to prove themselves. They're always tough to knock off, especially for Miami. They've had historical problems trying to deal with these kind of upstart teams. Reminder, the team three and a half hours north of here. The Magic were often never playing for anything, but they always found a way to beat Miami. And then there were two games versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. Again, another rebuilding year in Cleveland. You already beat them once, barely, and that was without Larry Nance Jr. and Jared Allen. Now you got one more on May 1st, too, against the Cavs. It's a really tough road up ahead. You've got two games versus Boston. You've got games versus Chicago with Nikola Nikola Vucevic there. You're going to go up against that rebounding machine when you have problems with Jonas friggin' Valanciunas? 21 games left. You've got to go at least, at least 12 and 9. And that's, I mean, we're already talking about potentially an additional four losses with that road trip and potentially the Lakers too. That doesn't give you much of a room for error there, right? 12-5 and five over the last 17 games. Just so you can kind of hang at where you are right now. 
the fourth seed may not be a realistic option. Right now, the Hawks are surging. They're three games over 500. Yeah, it's there. Even the Hornets, you know, they're going through their injury issues. Miami hasn't found a way to leapfrog past them. Is there a perfect matchup in the one through three spot? No. You know, you don't want to face the Nets. You don't want to face the Sixers. You don't want to face the Bucks in the first round. It would be better for them to be able to get the fourth or fifth seed, similar to what they did last year, where they could take on the Hawks or the Hornets, depending on who's there at the fourth seed. And if it's Miami, we'll send you, you know, same thing. Then you got to take on either the Hawks or Hornets at the fifth seed. I don't like that matchup with the Hawks either, though. I'll be honest with you. They are slowly figuring it out. They made some moves, and now they're it's paying off. You know? They look really, really good offensively over the last couple games. So this is not an easy stretch for them. They've got to figure it out. There is no turning point here. You know? No trade deadline, no anything. When Deadman shows up when and if he does he may or may not have an impact but it's not going to be a huge momentum shifting one in the least there's nothing to count on here all season long i've been waiting for this team to find themselves to get that sense of urgency right you know to prove this is the team that wasn't a fluke that they wanted to show up all the naysayers and everything else the people who questioned them and I don't know that they've had that sense of urgency or that need to show everybody up, but they have to figure it out now or else they're going to find themselves in a play-in tournament and then taking on one of those top teams in the East and be a first-round exit. And then they really will be viewed as a fluke, even though they absolutely are not. It's the defining point of the season. I'm excited because I want to see them find a way to overcome the challenge. You know, maybe I'm a believer in this team. Maybe I'm one of the last few people who actually do believe in them, and I've been pretty optimistic about their chances. But I've been waiting. This is a perfect opportunity for them to kind of show me up here and, and show me what I, I've been looking forward to all season because I think this is the time for it to happen. In any case, I'll get to a preview of the Lakers game and what it means for Miami before answering one last listener question here on Locked on Heat. But I also want to talk to you about Bilt Bars. Look, we already know right now, the Built Bars are great. They're 100% covered in chocolate. They've got all the nutrients you're looking for. So many amazing flavors. If you haven't tried them, what are you waiting for? Go to BuiltBar.com right now. Build yourself a box of all your favorite flavors. They're soft, easy to chew, covered in 100% chocolate. You don't even know that you're eating a protein bar. That's how good they are. But they are. They're healthy, and they're great for self-conscious, health-conscious people. Excuse me. And self-conscious people. Why not? You know, if you're looking for a little treat, grab yourself a Built Bar. It keeps you going. fills you up. They're low sugar, low calorie, high protein, high fiber, everything you're looking for. Best of all, if you go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your next order. Who doesn't like that? Go to promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. And when you're done with that, when you save a little money on BuiltBar, you take it over to Bet Online because it's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football's over, but the NBA and NHL and Major League Baseball are in full swing BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. And they've got you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So head to the website or use your mobile device today to sign up and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, they're your online sportsbook experts, and don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON.
more analysis on the top prospects available in this year's NBA Draft with the Locked On NBA Draft podcast, scouting reports, draft rumors, and mock drafts four days a week from credentialed draft experts. Follow the Locked On NBA Draft podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. Man, I got to tell you, I don't even know what's going on with the playoffs as far as Miami's concerned. I don't know if they're a first-round exit or a title contender, although I think it's more closer to the latter than the former. But I, I'll be honest with you, I am so excited I don't have to worry about the NBA draft. I have not been doing a very good job of covering college basketball and you know, staying on top of who are the best players and who could fall to Miami at such and such pick. Who has time for that? I didn't have time for that when they drafted Precious. You know, We were covering the finals until like a week before the draft. Oh, do you have a good choice for your 18th pick? It's like, no, I don't know who that is. I don't know who any of these guys are. Sorry. But like the network just put out an email saying, you know, it's never too early to start your draft coverage. It's like, it's not? The draft is coming up already? It just feels like it just happened. Where does the time go? This season has been so weird. Like, I mean, between an early round, or I'm sorry, what am I talking about? Early round, an early October exit in the NBA Files to the start of the season a month and a half later. I, I Who's had time to look into the draft, not just last year, but this year too? I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe if I was younger and didn't have a family, you could just spend all your time watching basketball. But I don't. <laughs> so hopefully that's why you got to go follow the Locked on NBA Draft podcast. I mean, there's so many people who can devote their time to the draft and to covering all these players. It makes it easier for people like me. So I don't have to have to worry about it. But about that early October exit, the Los Angeles Lakers, Miami stole a victory when they were winning 11 of 12 against the Lakers in Los Angeles to wrap up a West Coast road trip. Now they take on the Lakers before heading on to another West Coast road trip. It's a different Lakers team than the one that you faced earlier this season. Well, you were they were already missing Anthony Davis at that point. Now they'll be missing LeBron James as well. It's not an easy pushover. If you all, and, and I know you're all worried about the random scrub heat killers, this is a lineup made up of random scrub heat killers. Markeith Morris, Kyle Kuzma, Dennis Schroeder, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and don't forget the powerhouse Alex Caruso off the bench and Taylor Horton Tucker. They just won one over the Toronto Raptors where they dominated pretty much the whole game there. Won pretty easily. And now they're going into a game against the Heat on Thursday night. Some of the luster of the NBA Finals rematch taken off without the, the marquee names there. But if you're looking for Miami to have a sense of urgency, this is it. From the Lakers' side of things, look, they're trying to prove that they can win without AD and LeBron. These guys have pride, right? I mean, they're they're NBA players. They want to be able to win games and say, oh, you know, you're writing us off. Well, here's our chance to prove you wrong. Andre Drummond is hurt, their big uh, buyout acquisition. The player that's forcing the NBA to make several rule changes. I can't believe that. I, I'm so I am so upset at that story. Like, oh, the Lakers and Nets are getting every buyout player. It's ruining the league. I made this point in a locked on NBA podcast last week, and I just like the kind of uh, not vitriol necessarily, but I, criticism that we got from people in markets that are quote unquote small markets and are so upset that they didn't get their buyout players. Oh, I'm sorry, Andre Drummond didn't join the Portland Trailblazers. I'm I'm sorry that the I don't know the Milwaukee Bucks or Utah Jazz or other you know central teams didn't get that buyout player that you want. I didn't I didn't realize Lamarcus Aldridge 
was going to make that much of a difference for your team. Because he's not making it in Brooklyn. If they're winning, it's not because of LaMarcus Aldridge. And ditto for the Lakers. Uh, Andre Drummond might impact them, but I'm probably – I'm sorry that he's not going to be winning any games for them. Not when they have Davis and, and that LeBron guy. Those are pretty good players. That's why they're getting buyout guys. I remember Karan Butler waffling a few years ago between joining the Miami Heat and picking instead the Oklahoma City Thunder. So don't give me this small market crap. You're going to join teams that you want to join because they're very good teams that give you a chance at winning a championship. That's the way it's been done. That's the way it's always been done. If they're not joining the Trailblazers, it's not because they're a small market team. It's because the Blazers aren't good enough to win a title. Because they were supposed to go all in on defense, and instead they've sucked. And then they acquire you know, Norm Powell to add more offense because, well, that's how you're beating teams right now is by outscoring them, not necessarily by limiting them in any way. So take your complaints elsewhere, Portland fans. As far as the Lakers are concerned, you know, they've got something to prove. Against Miami, that's a really good opportunity. There'll be some hype about the matchup because, well, it's a finals matchup, even though, again, some luster is off there. Miami has to show up some kind of – they have to try to turn this thing around. I, I just – I can't – I don't want to keep har- you know harping on this point, but I can't seem to shake the idea that if you're looking to prove yourself as a legitimate playoff team, maybe – Title contender is too far-fetched. But let's just say you want to be able to prove to other teams that you are a legit playoff contender. you got to beat these guys up in the regular season, especially a Lakers team that you should have plenty of emotional ammunition towards. That they're missing Andre Drummond, Anthony Davis, and LeBron James to give you that extra boost? Take advantage. Beat up on the team that you're supposed to. That's your po- That's the point. Yeah, it's supposed to be tough to knock off the best teams in the East and West. The Lakers aren't that right now, and if you have an opportunity to beat them, you better take advantage of it. Because, again, you're going to go on that road trip and not be able to take advantage of teams like Phoenix and Denver and even Portland. Because if you have a hard time stopping the Grizzlies, let me tell you, that Blazers team, they've got a couple of good scores on there. You might know them. So, anyway... I didn't really have much of a preview per se, other than, again, it kind of reemphasizes the point of where the Heat currently stand and how important the next few weeks are to them. I just wanted to bring that point up because I think it's kind of something worth monitoring how Miami responds. This is their chance to kind of prove everybody wrong. This last question that I do want to answer comes in from Jeff Nicholas, who asks, Kong or Godzilla? <laughs> Thank you, Jeff, for sending that in. Uh, of course, if you've been living under a rock over the last couple of weeks, uh, you, you do realize that uh, Kong versus Godzilla came out on HBO Max. Uh, I guess it's limited theatrical release and then also being aired on the network there. Uh, and I will say, I, uh, I have watched the first, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes of the movie. And between the the bad acting and the the shaky plot line, I have not been able to really focus on it as much as I'd like to. But that's the whole point, right? You don't. It, who cares, right? I can't even believe I mentioned plot line and Kong versus Godzilla in the same sentence. I, I'm just getting right now. There have been some minor battles. One battle out on the middle of the. I can't even recall what ocean it might be. I guess it's the Pacific Ocean, right? We're, we're with on top of battle cruisers. I'm not giving away any spoilers here because I I haven't seen what it what happens towards the end there. That was a good scene as far as that battle is concerned. Who do I take in a ma- matchup? I mean, 
like I know it's going to come out a lot more even because Kong is Kong, but Godzilla is clearly more powerful. Like just he's got a nuclear blast, man. He's like he was a he was awakened by nuclear warfare. That's how powerful a creature this is. Like Kong's chilling on his island or whatever, hanging out with the natives. They kind of address, you know, they kind of know how to figure him out. They give him a space. He's like, hey, dude, he's like that angry neighbor you don't want to, you don't want to mess with. If he's out there smoking a cigarette at three in the morning, just leave him alone, right? You don't want to talk to him. You don't want to deal with him. You know, you offer up a sacrifice here and there. Maybe, maybe things will go smoothly for you. As far as Godzilla is concerned, that's a whole other story. Like, yeah, he helps you out to some degree. It's like, ah. Oh, these people need me again? What is it now? Mothra? I mean, Mecha Godzilla? Who is this? Who are all these people that keep coming out of nowhere? Why do they keep coming to Japan? And yes, I will befriend small children along the way because that's just the kind of person I am. Or monster or a titan, whatever they're calling him now. I don't know. He is uh, He is much more powerful. He is just, I don't know. I, I Godzilla, I, I like Kong more as a character. But I, I have to say Godzilla is, is clearly the more powerful of the two. We'll see. Maybe I'm proven wrong. I can't wait to see the second half of the film. <laughs> film. <laughs> it's going to be fun, I hope. And if you all have some takes, keep throwing them in here. I love comic book questions. You can ask me about Invincible, a new show on Amazon Prime that I've read several, several times. Uh, ask me about uh, the MCU. Ask me about anything. I love that stuff. If you can, if you are a new listener and you've only been want, listening to this show without Wes Goldberg to prop, you know he's been he used to prompt me on all sorts of comic book related questions. I don't get as many of those. So shout out to Jeff for, for letting me go down the rabbit hole here and talk about this a little bit. But yeah, feel free to send on those questions as much as you want. I am a I am a big geek about that sort of stuff and have been for a long time. Just a reminder that you can always reach me via email at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag AskLHeat. Be sure to please subscribe to the show and leave a review. Special thanks to Michelob Ultra and all of our sponsors for supporting today's show. And thanks to all of you. I'm David Ramil, signing off. <laughs> <laughs>